Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I have missed you. Uh, for those of you who haven't been here, like me, or uh, for those of you who might be visiting, I was just out of the country, missed a couple Sundays, and so I uh, just want to thank all of you who prayed for our team while we were in Africa, uh, and not just our team, there was actually another team there at the same time working with orphans and working with widows. Uh, both teams had a lot of success. We had great experiences there serving the people and uh, really believe that God changed lives, including ours, as we were across the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But grateful to be back in the house today with you. Uh, one quick thing before we dive into the Word, and I'm going to piggyback on what Lane was just talking about, Bless Weekend. As you've been hearing over the last couple of weeks, uh, April is Bless Month around here for us at Cross Point. All month long, we will work in intentional ways to bless our community and to bless our world. One of the ways we do that is through serving. You just heard about that. The other way we do this is through giving, okay? Everything we give together in the month of April, we will use for ministry happening outside of our walls. Okay, we've set a giving goal in April. It's big, $228,000. Uh, But I believe that together we can reach that. And again, every single bit of that money is going to be invested into three categories. The first is community engagement. Uh, We're actually going to fund multiple Hope for Christmas sites, pay for all of our Blessed Weekend projects, pay for all of our Serve Saturday projects, things like that. We'll invest in world engagement. So this is work happening in Burkina Faso, in Bolivia, uh, new work that's happening in Scotland. And one of the things I'm really excited about this year is we're actually going to fund a brand new Compassion International site in Burkina Faso. And so I decided, isn't that awesome? Yeah. And so a few hundred kids are going to have the opportunity to be, to be released from poverty in Jesus' name through that. And then finally, we're going to invest in church planting. Uh, While I've been gone, you've had the opportunity to hear from two guys that we're going to send out to plant churches later this year, and so we're going to invest quite a bit of money this year in uh, in those guys and in those ventures. And so if you're already giving to Crosspoint, let me just say thank you, and I want you to know in the month of April, that's the work that you're giving to, okay? Uh, If you are not already giving to Crosspoint, and this is your church, April is a great time to start giving to the mission. Because you know, listen, you know exactly where your money's going, you know exactly how it's going to be used, and you can make a very practical and tangible impact by just giving to the mission of Crosspoint. So be in prayer over the next couple of weeks as to what God might have you give in April, and uh, I can't wait to share the stories on the back end of all that God does through our generosity, all right? Awesome. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it. Uh, Today we are in week 21 of a series on the book of Genesis. Can you believe we're already 21 weeks in? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Uh, We're going to be in Genesis 21 together. So week 21 in Genesis 21. Uh, As you're turning there, have you ever heard someone use the phrase, God helps those who help themselves? I won't ask who's said it, but I'm sure a lot of us have heard it. Uh, I have heard it more times than I would like to remember. Uh, I have been in meetings with people who, you know, are dealing with spiritual struggles or just needing wisdom to make life decisions, and they'll drop this line on me. Well, James, I know God helps those who help themselves, and so maybe if I try harder and do better, God will show up and help me, and every time I hear it, I die a little inside. Okay, listen, because not only is that idea nowhere to be found in the Scriptures, but it completely contradicts the gospel message that we hold to as Christians, You see, the gospel, which simply means good news, it never says God helps those who help themselves. 
It says instead that God helps those who can't help themselves. This is the good news of what we believe, that, that we have a God who doesn't expect broken, sinful people to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get hard to work before he shows up, right? No, instead, we have a God who is so gracious, so kind, and so compassionate that he meets helpless people right where they are, and in spite of their own sin and stupidity, does for them what they could never do for themselves. And this is exactly what we see God doing in our passage for today. Check it out. Genesis 21, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. God bless him. (laughs) Jesus, help him, right? (laughs) And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. We'll stop there and talk. So in these opening verses, what we see is God fulfilling a promise that Abraham and Sarah had been waiting on for 25 years. Can you imagine that? Like some of us can't wait on God 25 minutes. They've been waiting on God for 25 years and they're waiting. It all started back in Genesis chapter 12. Right, God comes to this pagan man. His name was Abram at the time. God was nowhere on his radar, yet God makes him some incredible promises. He says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Anyone who blesses you, I'll bless. Anyone who dishonors you, I'll curse. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This was a promise that looked forward to Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. But there was a problem. When those promises came to him, he was 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, was about 65 years old. She was barren, which means they had no kids. And I think you'd agree, it's really hard to father a nation of people without kids, right? And so fast forward a few chapters to Genesis 15, and you actually see Abraham wrestling with this reality. Uh, He is really fearful that one of his servants is going to be his heir. And so God in his grace shows up yet again, and he says, Abraham, stop worrying, bro. Like, I got this. You need to trust me. Your servant isn't going to be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. Like, I'm going to do the impossible and bless you with a kid, and through that kid, I will make good on all of my promises to you. And here in Genesis 21, that's what God's doing. He's keeping his promise He's being faithful to his word. And Moses, the author of Genesis, I love this. He really stresses this point to make sure that we don't miss it. I don't know if you caught it, but he actually repeats himself three different times. He tells us that the Lord did as he said, that the Lord did as he promised, and he did it at the time of which God had spoken. And so he just wants us to see God is faithful. Now here's the question, why? Why was God faithful to keep his word after all that time? Well, I can tell you this, it wasn't because Abraham and Sarah had been so faithful to him. I mean, if you've been here over the course of the series, you know this. In those 25 years of waiting, they did some really dumb, sinful things, didn't they? I mean, for starters, they entirely forgot God uh, on two different occasions. Remember, they lied about their relationship 
told foreign rulers that they were brother and sister instead of husband and wife, all because Abraham was fearful that if they found out the truth, uh, they would kill him and take her. And so instead of trusting God's promise to give them a kid by preserving their lives and their marriage, they took their lives into their own hands and they just forgot him. In addition, there were times where they tried to help God. Uh, The greatest example of this was when it came to Hagar. Uh, After 10 years of waiting, Sarah, like many of us, she grew impatient and she got really tired of waiting and in her frustration said to her husband, Abraham, I've got a plan. Since God is in no hurry to do this for us, we'll just do it ourselves. Abraham, I'm going to give you my servant, Hagar. I want you to sleep with her, get her pregnant, and she will give us the son God has promised. And still, after forgetting him, after trying to help him, there were also times where they just flat out doubted God, doubted his willingness and ability to come through. You see this in Genesis 15. Uh, Abraham is saying to God, God, what are you going to give me? Like, you've made these promises to me, and nothing is happening. God, I'm starting to wonder if you're going to come through. And in Genesis 18, Sarah does the same. Uh, If you were here a few weeks ago when we talked about that story, if you remember this, the Lord actually wraps himself in flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, makes this appearance in the Old Testament. And he comes and has a conversation with Abraham, all to assure him, hey, dude, it's about to happen. I'm about to come through for you. In a year from now, I'm going to show back up and I'm going to open the womb of your 90-year-old wife and she's going to give birth to a son. Well, Sarah's inside their tent listening to this conversation. She's eavesdropping. (laughs) And in this moment, this woman laughs, not in a good way, and she says to herself, no way that's happening. I mean, I'm an old, worn-out woman married to an old, worn-out man. And if that dude outside the tent thinks I'm about to have sexual pleasure or the pleasure of birthing a child at this point in my life, he is smoking something, right? And listen, I bring all that up to say this. God could have easily backed out based on their responses, and not a single person in this room would blame him, right? He could have just decided, man, you know what? If that's the way they want to be, I'll move on. They want to doubt me and forget me and question me and try to do things without me. I'll go find a new couple to use, a couple that will be more faithful to me. But God didn't. Instead, he remained committed. And what we learn from God's commitment to the couple is this. And this is the big idea of today's message. So if you're taking notes, write this down. We learn that God is faithful to his word even when we're not. Come on, 10 o'clock. That's good news, isn't it? I mean, this is what we believe as Christians, that God is always faithful to his word even when we're not. Look, I need you to know today that God is not like all the other people in your life. He's not. He's not like that parent that made all those promises to you and then broke them. He's not like that spouse that made a commitment to you and then backed out. He's not like that friend in your life that gave you their word and then never showed up. He's different than that. You see, when God makes promises, he keeps them. And he keeps them, listen, he keeps them regardless of you. And why does God do this? Well, the reason's really simple. Because his promises are dependent upon his grace, not your goodness. In other words, let me say it like this. God fulfills his word to you, not because of you, but in spite of you. That's what grace is, right? 
I mean, by definition, grace is God giving you what you haven't earned and what you don't deserve. And so you have to understand today, if God has made you a promise, you can bank your life on it. He will come through regardless of you. And this is what Abraham and Sarah are starting to realize in this moment that God is faithful to his word even when we're not. But listen, that doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want to do, right? Like our attitude as Christians should never be, well, sweet, if God is going to be gracious to me and faithful to me, even if I'm not faithful to him, well, I'll just do me. I'll just live my life however I want to live my life. I mean, you can do that if you want, but if you are truly a son or daughter of God, as any good loving father does, at some point, God will discipline you and lovingly bring you back in line. Instead, God's grace and his faithfulness should evoke in us two responses that we see in the text. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first response is obedience. First response is obedience. In verses 3 and 4, we're told that Abraham named his son Isaac which is the name God told him to use back in Genesis 17, 19, right? Uh, it's a name that means laughter. And as we're already beginning to see in our passage for today, there was a lot of laughter that surrounded the birth of Isaac. But not only did he name his son what God told him to name him, he also circumcised his son on the eighth day as God commanded. Isaac, by the way, first person in the Bible that was circumcised from birth. And listen, I want you to see the progression here. Don't miss this. God fulfills his word, does what he promises, then Abraham obeys. It wasn't that Abraham obeyed, and then God kept his word, and then God did what he promised. And it's so important for us to see this, because oftentimes we as people get it backwards, don't we? We obey God in hopes of getting certain things from God, instead of obeying him in response to what's already been given. And I think some of you know what this is like, right? I mean, I've shared this before, but as a kid who grew up in church, I was highly guilty of this. For the longest time, I believed that God loved me enough to save me out of hell, but I didn't think he liked me very much. And so I took it upon myself to work really, really hard in hopes of getting certain things from him. You know, my mindset was often this. Maybe I keep going to church and I keep following the rules and I stay away from these certain kind of people and I don't behave in these certain kind of ways. Maybe God will bless me and be kind to me. Maybe through my obedience, I can start to feel like God actually loves me and accepts me. And as a result of that, I lived under a constant weight of guilt and shame, always wondering if I was doing enough for God. Come on, does this sound familiar to anybody? This was my life for a lot of years after becoming a Christian. And it wasn't until my early 20s that I realized, "Uh uh-oh, I have it backwards. And I finally started to understand that God's faithfulness to me doesn't depend upon me at all. No, instead, his faithfulness depends upon Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And because of my faith in him as Savior and Lord, God declares that James Griffin is fully loved, fully accepted, fully righteous, and all of his promises are yes and amen for me in Jesus Christ. Listen, when I learned that, it was a game changer. I mean, I finally came to a place in my life where I no longer obeyed God in order to get. I started obeying God in response to what had already been given. And my friends, hear me. That's all obedience is. It is a response. Obedience is not a means by which we get reward. 
Obedience is a response to the grace poured out on us by the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? We obey. The second response that we see in the text is praise. It's praise. In verses 6 and 7, we see Sarah joyfully praising God. And I just want you to picture this scene with me, if you will. Think about how outrageous this is. Here's this 90-year-old woman who was just very pregnant, which I am sure was a sight to behold. I mean, could you imagine how many people passed her on a daily basis going, I really want to ask, but I don't think I should. <laughs> like, I, I need to know, but my mama taught me better than that, right? Like, I'm, keep my mouth shut. So here she is. She's given birth to this child and now she is nursing this newborn baby boy at 90 and she's just laughing. I mean, what else can you do at that point than just laugh, right? But here's what I love. At first she was laughing at God. Now she's laughing with him, which is a great reminder. Hear me that when it comes to the promises of God, God always gets the last laugh. You see, even if his word and his promises seem absolutely ridiculous to you, if he said it, he will do it. All of his promises will come to pass for his people. And Sarah is just now beginning to realize this. And as she's laughing, she begins praising. I mean, can't you just hear her? This is insane. Only God could do something like this. God, you've brought so much joy into my life, and everybody who hears about what you've done for me is going to rejoice with me. Thank you, God, for being faithful to your words. Here's the takeaway. This joyful praise that we see in Sarah, it's the same type of joyful praise that should characterize our lives when we finally begin to understand that God is faithful to his word even when we're not. And listen, that truth, I believe, should cause us to praise God in two ways. First, like Sarah, it should cause us to praise him reactively. So in other words, when God performs a promise he's made you, praise him for it. Like, don't praise somebody else. (laughs) Don't tell other people, oh, look what I just did. No, praise God for what he did in your life. Thank him for being faithful to you, even when you haven't always been faithful in return. But then secondly, I would also tell you that this truth should cause you to praise God proactively. I mean, come on, let's be honest. All of us in this room still have promises from God that we're waiting on, don't we? We do. Promises for healing. Promises for provision. Promises for deliverance from sin, spiritual battles. And here's the reality. You might experience some of those promises on this side of eternity, but you might not. You might have to wait a long time before those finally become your reality. It might be 10 years. It might be 50 years. It might be 75 years until you finally stand face to face with Jesus Christ one day in his eternal kingdom and all the promises of God become reality for you. But here's what you can do regardless. In the present, you can thank God in advance for what you know is coming, right? Like, I thank you that healing is on the way. I mean, I'm tired of feeling this way, and I don't know how long I'm going to feel this way, but God, I'm just praising you that there's coming a day when this is going to be different for me. God, thank you that provision is on the way. Thank you, God, that deliverance is on the way for me. This struggle in my life, I don't know if any of you ever feel like this, but I feel like this when my own sin struggles. Like there are things about me that I hate about me, that I wish were different, that I wish weren't realities in my life. And I pray against this stuff and I might have to deal with it for my entire life, just like some of you. But what I know is that there's coming a day when God is going to free me. And I can praise God for that right now. God, thank you that this sin and this struggle won't be an issue for me forever. Deliverance is on the way. 
And listen, when you praise God like that, when you praise God proactively, here's what happens. Your praise anchors your soul to his promises. And as a result, God in his grace gives you the faith and the strength you need to persevere until his promises finally become your reality. Come on, is this helping anybody? I got to tell you, this past week when I wrote this message, this helped me. I was just encouraged to know and remember yet again that God is faithful to James even when James isn't faithful to him. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. And so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he's your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. This is where we see the character of God on display. Uh, We're going to talk about this in a few moments, but this is amazing to me. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So between verses 7 and 8, about three years of time pass. And we know this is the case because in ancient Israel, that's about the time a child was weaned. And so Isaac is now a toddler, about three years old. His brother Ishmael, he's probably around 16 or 17 years old. And what we see in the text is that Abraham decides to throw this great big party. He wants to celebrate that weaning day has come, all right? And so while they're all celebrating at the party together, Sarah looks over and she sees Ishmael, the older brother, laughing at Isaac. Now, this word laughing in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament is a different word than the one that just appeared earlier in the text, okay? This Hebrew word laughing means mocking, And we don't know exactly what Ishmael was doing to mock Isaac. We just know that it was somehow malicious in nature. Uh, In fact, in the New Testament, Galatians 4.29, the Apostle Paul says that in this moment, Ishmael actually persecuted Isaac. And so Sarah, you know, overprotective mom, mother hen, she sees what's going down, and she calls Abraham over. She is furious, and she says to him, get rid of him. Like, seriously, get rid of him right now. Cast out the slave woman, cast out her son. He is not sticking around here and sharing in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And naturally, Abraham was distraught. I mean, parents, can you imagine this? Ishmael had been his only child for some 13 years. 
And now his wife is saying to him, I want him out of here. You got to get rid of the kid. But listen, before we feel too sorry for him, let's not forget Abraham's the one who created this mess, right? He slept with Hagar. Yes, Sarah is the one who suggested it, but he's the dummy who actually followed through on it, right? I mean, men in the room, I said this several weeks ago when I preached on Genesis 16. If your wife ever says to you, hey, honey, you should sleep with another woman. Don't do it, okay? Like, I promise you, it will go bad for you just like it went bad for him. What he should have done in that moment was looked at his wife and been a spiritual leader and been a man and said to her, babe, I love you, and I know how long you've been waiting, and I know how badly you want kids, but I'm not doing that. Like God has given us a promise. He said he would come through. He told us he would provide a son. We're not going to do this our way. We're going to do this his way. Sweetheart, no way I'm doing that. Yet, instead of being that type of leader and man, he did what Adam did in the garden when Eve handed him the fruit, right? He just passively goes, oh, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I should absolutely do that. And he sleeps with Hagar, gets her pregnant. Which, listen, which is what makes God's response in this moment so incredible. Here is Abraham. His heart is breaking. And God in his grace shows up and he says, Abraham, I've got you. I've got you. Don't worry. Don't be distraught. Just do what Sarah tells you to do. I'm going to make good on all of my promises through Isaac. And I'm going to keep my promise to make a great nation out of Ishmael. Why? Because he's your son. How unbelievable is that? I mean, here is God yet again being faithful to this man who hasn't been entirely faithful to him. And so Abraham gets up early the next morning, and I cannot imagine how difficult this conversation had to be. He calls Hagar and his 16, 17-year-old son over, and he just says to them, you have to leave. Like right now, in this moment, You've got to get out of here. I've prepared some bread and I have a little bit of water. See you, good luck. And he sends them out. And they wander around in the desert and eventually their water runs out and apparently Ishmael became very dehydrated because we see him on the verge of death. And so his mom, I mean, imagine this mom's in the room. His mom settles him under this bush, this tree. Her heart is breaking because her son is suffering, about to die. She cannot bear to watch it happen. And so she leaves him. And she goes, the Bible says, about the distance of a bow shot. So imagine someone with a bow and arrow, however far they could shoot an arrow. That's about how far she went. And she just sat down and she wept and she lifted her voice to the Lord And God in his grace intervenes. I love this. This It's powerful. He speaks to her. The angel of God speaks to her and says, hey, uh, why are you so fearful? Why are you so distraught? I've heard the voice of your boy. Do you remember from weeks ago what the name Ishmael means? It just means God hears. And then the angel of God speaks to her again and And he says, Hagar, listen, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Nothing's going to happen to him. And she receives the same promise Abraham received. I'm going to make a great nation out of your son. So go back to that bush where you left him. Get him up. Everything's going to be okay. And then God opens her eyes to see a well of water. And she goes to the well, gets water, and their lives are saved. And what we learn from God's protection of this mom and son in this moment is this. That God is the God of the outcast. 
Hmm. I think some of us need this today. That God is the God of the outcast. In Psalm 68, 5, God says about himself that he is the father to the fatherless and a protector of widows. And in this moment, this is exactly who we see God to be. I mean, think about this with me. When Abraham cast Hagar and Ishmael out, on a practical level, she became a widow, a single mom, and he became an orphan, which means they left behind all their protection, all of their resources, and I have to believe they also left behind all their hope. And I would bet that some of you in this room today, you know how that feels (laughs) because you're the person who's been rejected. You're the person who's been cast out. You're the person who's been abused and abandoned and walked out on. For you, hope is really hard to come by these days. And if I'm speaking to you right now, here's what I need you to know. Please don't miss this. God loves you and he sees you and he hears you and he cares about what you're going through. And a passage like this proves it time and time again. God has deep affection for people who have experienced what you've gone through. And regardless of who's cast you out, God wants to bring you in. And my encouragement to you today would be this. Like Hagar, lift your voice to the Lord. Lift your voice to the Lord. God promises to draw near to people who draw near to Him. And so if you'll draw near to Him, God will intervene in your life, begin to bind up all your wounds, and He'll not only comfort you now, but He'll give you hope for your future. Amen? This is the God we serve. But let me also say this before we move on. And I have made this point several times throughout the series, uh, but it is worth repeating, and I will keep repeating it every time I get the chance. God's protection of this mom and son It also reminds us today, again, that every life matters to God. (laughs) Every life matters to God. And it does not matter how that life entered the world. If that life entered the world as an accident, as a mistake, as an act of unrighteousness, unholiness, there are no mistakes in the sight of God. All life comes from Him, and every life matters to Him. He creates all life, therefore all life possesses intrinsic value, and because all life is valuable to God, it should be treated as valuable by us as his people, amen? And hear me, this is especially true when it comes to the most vulnerable people in society. As followers of Jesus Christ, we carry a great responsibility to love, to care for, and to protect and defend the most vulnerable people in existence. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And come on, he's our example. He's the one we're striving to be like each day by the power of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us. And if Jesus did it, we do it. I mean, read the Gospels. What what do you find Jesus doing on a regular basis? Ministering to the poor, the needy, the hopeless, the helpless, and the outcast. Yet, listen, God just, you know, if there was a chance that we could have missed the obvious, which as people we often do at times... God goes on to be very clear in his word that this is the expectation on our lives. For example, in James 1.27, James, the brother of Jesus, says that true religion is what? Caring for the widow and the orphan in their affliction. See, according to the brother of Jesus, uh, you can perform all the religious activity that you want. Come to church all you want, serve all you want, give all you want, go to all the Bible studies you want. But if you are not caring for and loving the most vulnerable people in society, guess what? You're not truly following Jesus. 
My friends, we have to know today that if we want to bear the image of God rightly in our world, which is our purpose in life, that we must do what God does. And what does God do? He helps people who can't help themselves. This is the God we serve. I want to point out one last thing from the passage. Go to verse 22 with me. We're not going to read all the remaining verses. I'm just going to read a few, and I'll trust you to read the rest on your own this week. But here's what Moses goes on to say. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you've sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Look, if you were here a couple weeks ago when uh, Jason preached, you might remember meeting number one with Abimelech. Uh, Meeting number one between Abraham and Abimelech didn't go so well. Okay, in that meeting, Abraham lied. Out of fear, he told Abimelech, this foreign ruler, this foreign king, that Sarah was his sister, not his wife. And so Abimelech took Sarah to be his wife and by doing so put his own life in danger and his entire family at risk. And when he finally figured out what had happened, like what was going on, he called Abraham out. I love this. He's like, bro, what have you done to me? Like, seriously, what did I do to you to deserve this? Like, this is not right. You shouldn't have done this to me. And so Abraham was left looking like a fool in front of this foreign ruler. Well, meeting number two goes much differently. I love this. Abimelech comes back. It's a few years later. And he says to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Don't you love that? Like, how powerful of a testimony is this? Here's this pagan king. This dude who doesn't even know God, recognizing God's faithfulness in Abraham's life. He's going, okay, bro, I see you. And I see all the things that God is doing for you. And in response to God's faithfulness, he asks Abraham to be uh, kind with him, to show him favor and to show him blessing. And what I want us to take from that is simply this. And this is the last thing I'll ask you to write down. We learn from that, that when we live in light of God's faithfulness, people take notice. Really simple truth. When we live in light of God's faithfulness, people take notice. So in other words, when we strive each and every day by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit that lives in us to be the people God has called us to be in the world, people see that. They see it. Now listen, not everybody's going to like it. Some people are going to speak out against it. Uh, Other people are going to work really, really hard to ignore it. Yet there will be some who will acknowledge it, even people who don't know the God who's been so faithful to you. And when those people acknowledge what God has done in your life, listen, that then gives you an opportunity to pass along the same grace to them that you've received from Jesus Christ himself, all in hopes that they might experience grace in a very real, personal, life-changing way. And so as we close, here's the question I'll end on. Are you living in light of God's faithfulness? Are you living in light of God's faithfulness? Knowing that God is always faithful to you, even when you're not faithful to Him, are you living in humble obedience every day as your response to His grace? Are you living a life of joyful praise, knowing all of God's promises are good for me? Like even the ones I'm still waiting on, one day they will become my reality. And then are you someone who loves your neighbor like you love yourself? 
You treat every person you interact with with dignity, with value, with worth, especially the most vulnerable people you know because you understand that all life matters to God. If so, let me encourage you and say, that's awesome, keep it up. <laughs> like keep striving every day with the help of the Holy Spirit to grow more and more in Christ's likeness. But if not, here's the invitation. In just a moment, I wanna invite you just to confess that to God. Just to tell him, be honest with him. God, here is where I am failing to be faithful to you. Confess it and trust in God's promise that when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But right now, I just want us to all thank God for his faithfulness. And let's just ask him to grow our faithfulness to him. Can we do that? Just heads bowed, eyes closed all across the room. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and to get in their places. And I want you just to begin praying right now, however the Holy Spirit of God's leading you. Confess what you need to confess. Thank God for his faithfulness. Ask him to grow you, to change you, to cleanse you. Just lift your heart and your voice to him. For those in the room who feel abandoned, abused, rejected, call on the Lord today. Ask him to come and to comfort your heart. To give you peace and hope for your future. Listen, as as you're praying, and please keep praying. I have to imagine that there are probably some of us in this room today who have never experienced the faithfulness of God firsthand because we've never put our faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior and Lord. See, the greatest act of God's faithfulness took place 2,000 years ago when He sent His Son into the world in grace and in love to give His life up for us. He went to a cross and He died the death we deserve to pay for all of our sins, rose from the dead three days later so that we could have hope for our future. And the Bible teaches that when we put our faith in him, that God adopts us into his family as loved sons and daughters, and our lives are never the same. Listen, if you hear that and something just in you knows and believes that that's true, if you're that person who needs a relationship with God today, right now, wherever you're seated, why don't you just pray something like this? Just say to God, God, I know that you've been faithful to me even when I haven't been faithful to you. And I believe the proof of your faithfulness is seen in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross to pay for my sins, that he rose from the dead to give me hope for my future. And so God, today I ask that you'd forgive me of all my sins. Take hold of my life. God, give me the hope of eternity with you. And make me into the person you've created me to be. I say yes to Jesus.